0: You know, verbal language can't do it, but we can describe the pattern of wind, we can describe music, we can describe how bacteria grows with a language we call mathematics.
1: This is Social Fabric, conversations with people about their passion and their contribution to the community. For more information, go to socialfabric.ie. The difference between heaven and hell Said one was above, one was below the ground Who's gonna follow me down? Well, what else? What else is that was on the list? Uh, no, I'm gonna ask you a couple of other things before we uh, tell you what other music you picked. <laughs> <laughs> No, the one thing interesting, again, I was reading your bio and, and about, you know, the, the, your attitude to school as such when you were growing up. Hated. Yeah, you hated it and you just didn't do it for you and it wasn't really what well you... So, from there... you I have it, ideas
0: about that. But that's <laughs> what I was going to ask you,
1: exactly what I am going to ask you, because you mentioned that earlier on in the conversation that you also go to schools and you do, I suppose you're talking about mm-hmm. it, you know, drawing and illustration and so on and so forth. Give me, your, tell me your ideas because I have my own ideas and and, and quite strong ideas about schooling and, mm. and and one of the reasons I'm doing this is because I hope that somebody listening out there go okay well, not I want to become an illustrator not I want I, I want to be my own I want to be something somebody and that's the way I'm gonna go forward as opposed to what the school is telling me to do, and that's my view. But yeah, what's your view on it? Um...
0: well I think most schools suck, you know. I don't know what the point of them is. They're mostly pointless. They make people hate things. That's what I grew up with. They turn you off to everything. They get, they. get Some people get really interested. Like there's a guy who's a physicist here in town. Talking about the eclectic crowd. Uh, and I chat physics with him. You know, he's a bit of a nut. But he, he always talks about the fact that he always liked it. You know, it's like, that's fine. A guy wakes up and he's into physics. But you know what? That's one. You need more than one. Now where they're getting the other ones I don't know. Trinity here is apparently like the center for physics in um, global academia like they have more physicists per square meter than anywhere else hmm. and uh, so but my thing and I've argued with this guy about it that I just think school is completely screwed up. like what's the point of teaching you something that you that you're going to learn later until you decide what you want to do or until you're a human being? how can you possibly take anything in now granted yes uh, ideas about history in, in their place in history and their your spot in the continuance of time and and your relationship to other people and and the different disciplines but my biggest pet peeve and I've I've already done one book that I didn't sell but there's a one of them knockwood has sold it's kind of a twist on what I really think school should be but it's it's the least controversial, so I'm not surprised it's the <laughs> first one that somebody bought. But I have a, a big epic that my agent actually suggested I write, and then he didn't like it at all when he finally realized what I was doing. First, it's about science. And the first thing that occurs to me about any kind of science is, if you start reading, you can't talk about science without talking about religion. And since no one wants to talk about religion, so they don't properly talk about science. So is it any surprise that people just think science is freaking boring? <laughs> Of course they think it's boring, because there's no context in their lives. They don't understand that science and any other aspect, like kids who go to school like me, and you, they throw all this stuff at and you're like, why are you talking to me about this stuff? Like, why don't you just shut up? I'm not interested in anything you have to say. I think that's because they never basically tell you, contextualize it and, and say, look, everything exists for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like it or not, math has a reason. Most people are never taught that math is any function. And then you get these people that are really interested in math. They say, see, 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 look, these guys are interested in math. We're doing a good job. They're so busy patting themselves on <laughs> the back. They could care less what happens to the whole rest of the world. Well, how about you don't just tell people math is great and you should be interested. And if you don't get it, then you're an idiot. How about just explaining that math is a language? Math is, 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 is a way that, you, that people figure things out. There's a pattern to the universe. There's, there's things that we've discovered. There are ways in which we describe things. You know, verbal language can't do it, but we can describe the pattern of wind. We can describe music. We can describe how bacteria grows with a language we call mathematics. Don't call it math. Don't call it numbers. It's just a language. It's a way of describing things. We can, we can evoke things. And one of the nice things about math is it has this capacity, like what you learned early, early, early on in algebra, which is you can actually explore without knowing everything. You can leap over things you don't necessarily know for the moment. You can put an X there, three three something something X, and you can move on and say, okay, we, we understand that sometimes we don't need to know everything to go ahead, we can kind of go ahead and then go backwards. And that capacity, you know, any there's a million things you, where you could talk about math that would be better than the way they teach it, which is drill, 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 drill. Um, history. How could anything that, that interesting be made boring to people? I hated it. <laughs> history is people. History is the story of people. It's the story of you. You are history. Like, And if they don't, you don't at least get the kids hooked that Forget about names and dates. It's an endless barrage of names, dates, wars. And as we're finding out now, it's all man's history. It's, it's becoming twice as fascinating because they're finally, finally digging up women's history. Half of the freaking global population of people, their history was left behind. Uh, fascinating stuff. It's just it's endlessly fascinating. If you make that boring for kids, then you need to be fired. You know, get get a get a new job, and also any science is the last one, which is. These are all like the list of people things that most kids hate. There's a small select group that like it, but you know what? That's like, you know, it's taking taking credit for getting a few people interested in science. It's like, to me, it's like the analogies like when the Celtic Tiger hit Ireland, and, you know, the government dropped the corporate rate through the floor, and all this money flew into the country, and everybody started going. Oh man, I'm so i I'm a businessman. I'm smarter than Trump. Another other the, the analogy I think of is it's like there's a tree and there's this fruit falling on the ground. And they're picking up the monkeys are picking up the fruit and they're like, Oh no, the clever monkey. Um look at look at what I can do. I can make food. They're picking it up off the ground, suddenly all the stuff that's on the ground has gone, up in the tree and they're like, Now what do we do? And one monkey climbs up the tree and gets the fruit and he's a little bit more clever. Then finally what happens is they pick all the fruit and there's nothing, there's no fruit in the tree and they got this empty tree. And they, So some monkey somewhere realized, you know, maybe we shouldn't pick them all, we should plant new insects. Any monkey, anybody that can pick up fruit off the ground, you know, anybody can take credit for those few. There's going to be a few people that are interested in these odd subjects. You can't take credit for that. That's, that's. That's the problem. They're taking credit for stuff they can't. They shouldn't be taking credit for. And they're not analyzing the education for the fact that it's a complete failure. They're not getting people interested. They're not, at the very least, nobody should grow up saying, I don't understand the point of this. You don't want to do it? I have the slightest interest in being a mathematician. I, I hate it. I'm actually better at science. I've tested in back in my young years. I was better at mathematics stuff than I was at. English half, you know, they divided up. True. But I have the I have the slightest bit interest. I hate math. I hate. I can do it, but I hate it. But I don't walk around saying it's stupid. It has no function, and I don't understand it. I, I don't completely understand it, but I understand the point. Mm. And that to me would be the point of education: which would be to bring it, make it holistic, bring it together. I've written a book that is my stab at trying to bring together a little corner of it. What, what really interests me which I think would interest other kids to a certain extent was bringing it all together um, that science and history and mathematics and literature and culture are all woven together you know, um, all of these things came out of needs, human needs human emotions. There's a great quote a friend of mine she gave me once he was, for a while, he was my roommate he was going out with this woman, the love of his life and she was like Drifting away from him because she was part of this hotshot crowd of, of financial brokers. She managed a hedge fund or something. And I remember thinking at the time, like, what the hell? I like, why is this amazing person, super smart, managing the Fidelity investment fund? Like, that sounds like the absolute most boring job in the world. And it's like, Mike, you know, the stock market is about people. People that make a ton of money in the stock market need to know people. What are people going to do tomorrow? What are they doing now? And how are they going to change? And in that change, how is their behavior going to change? Their purchase behavior, their attitude behavior. So in order to be all these high-flying guys at Wall Street are students of the human race. That's why they like it. Because they're getting in people's heads. They're trying to figure out where the world is going to go tomorrow. So it's a whole another head than what you normally would teach people, which is, oh, numbers adding up. Somehow along the line, they were exposed to it in a way that they got it. Either they were told by somebody. But in normal school, especially as you're little kids, you're not taught no. stuff like that. Everything is connected to people. Yeah. The world, Our world is full of people and if it's not a cultural thing, like science and history and math and literature, those are all human constructs, dogs don't use any of that. But we are, we, we're connected to that, obviously, because it wouldn't be here without us. Then the natural world, we're connected because we're natural, you know, newsflash, we're natural, we're biological. But also, but the fact, it's never, it was never sort of told to me in a way that, to get me interested, like, you know, you're biological, but everything's biological. Mathematics is biological. Math, it, everything is is connected at a certain level. Your cellular level. You're down at a uh, at a, uh, elemental level, an atomic level. You're built of it. You're built of atoms. A brick is built of atoms. Like some famous physicist, Feynman. in One of his quotes, he said, like, "You're so smart. Give us one. Your big thing, like for kids." And his his line is. Everything is made of smaller things. And that's just one thing. But that that was a hell of a lot more intelligent than anything I was ever taught in school. And that to me is fascinating, that at an atomic level, you're no different from electricity. Or or the fact that you've got electricity running through you right this very minute. But it, it runs... Um, it's a form of liquid electricity but it's not in principle it's no different than the electricity coming out of the wall electricity basically runs the world but is it just electricity no it isn't because it's it has a two-faced phenomenon it's magnetism it's you know electromagnetism there's two sides to it but is it so strange that your body has electricity no of course it isn't but it's running off of salts it's that very thing it's a, that's what happens when you're dehydrated you're basically screwing up your um, salt balance in your body. It's not about losing water. It's about the fact that your electrolytes are imbalanced. And your electrolytes, which are uh, a chemical compound, that you basically think of as salt. It's the same family. It's running your body on electricity. If you screw that up, it's basically like cutting all the wires mm. in a computer. You're not going to function properly. So, like, if you don't drink, uh, uh, replenish your, you know, like, Salts and potassium, like drinking, say, a glass of orange juice to replace your fluids. You're basically, it's like charging your iPhone, you know, and you're, so you are connected to your computer. You're connected to the world on all kinds of levels. Um, you're not even, you're not even technically half there. Like your bacterial uh, culture in your body is something like three quarters of your biomass. You're essentially a community of entities working together, you're not even one mm. entity so therefore you're completely connected with the way the world works because you're you're a community, this is a community people are community, the world's a community trees, sub, you know earth uh, t- to me, the f- what is interesting and what I would think naturally leads you out to, f- to be interested in something in particular would be that everything is, has a relevance yeah. and that humans have created constructs of organized religion stuff which I think is a horror but it doesn't mean that it couldn't work but it hasn't so far, no, no one's proven that no. it works at all but you, you know, even really good ideas like communism have basically proven to be a failure doesn't mean that it, someone couldn't make it work but so far communism worked, yeah. and, and, and organized religion have both turned out to be catastrophically disastrous um, ideas even saying something like that to kids you're not allowed to say that kind of thing. But, but even talking about religion, you were talking, if you're trying to talk to kids about government religion, it's again, it's about people organizing. What do they do? What do they think? Um, I think it, it's all relatable. It takes a lot of work. I know because I, I tried, tried to thump my brain with it, but just because it's difficult doesn't mean it isn't possible to connect kids at their level to, to everything, you know, um, Understand what their world is. Um, And with children's books, I would always tell people, trying to get in the field, like, kids are are no, you're no smarter than a kid. You're no smarter than a two-year-old. You're more experienced. So within a child's world, if they're as intelligent as you, they'll put together what they call wisdom, which is intelligence plus your experiences, and you combine things but you can with a little thought you can connect very sophisticated things to kids of various ages but you can't make the mistake of of attempting to talk to them about something of which you have no experience but they do understand the basics they understand wonder they understand curiosity they understand love they understand hate they understand hunger they understand need they mm. understand satisfaction uh, they understand um, the intricacies of interaction. That people live in communities, and there's there's complicated ways that people interact. Uh, that they live in a world with animals. They live in a world with with man-made things mm-hmm. that were made by somebody. They they have a huge uh, capacity. And often the mistake that that people make in mean failing to do stuff for kids is is making an assumption about that's based on our experience um you need to break down your thinking to remove you know your life's experience and just break it down and that it's, it's a learning experience in itself i think working on kids stuff because you really have to um break it down to the basics
1: uh that's an interesting way of putting it that they understand it's just a different experience i'm gonna ask you another couple of things uh another song just to break it up it's uh, Taste of Honey by Herb Alpert beautiful tune I didn't <laughs> know it before this but it's lovely
0: well I I I dug through thinking of what what would be the first music I remember my parents had these schlocky pop records on and I uh, I liked Herb Alpert do you want to browse I mean, listen, listening to it now I went back and listened to it now, it's pretty hokey but uh, I think you, you get Affected by that, um, oddly enough, I, I went late, years later to live in San Diego, which is not in Tijuana, but uh, that whole kind of music and that world that Herb Albert was sort of trying to evoke and turn into pop stuff. I lived in and around that world for five years, so it's kind of interesting that you know the world of uh, Latin music, particularly Tijuana, which is about five ticks from downtown San Diego. And uh, so th- that record was uh, in the house and there was a couple others of her belt, but there was a tie between that. I was very interested in classical music growing up, and I, but I couldn't find too many hard examples that protected. There was a guy named Walter Carlos, who was one of the first guys to make electronic music, and that immediately caught my imagination. And he did versions of electronic music as well as Beatles. Uh, uh, he did versions of classical music as well as Beatles. Beatles stuff. It's, he's hard to dig for. He he had a, um, a sex change in his life, so so you have to type in Wendy Carlos and or Walter Carlos or both okay. because sometimes this stuff gets lost between his two identities. But um, he did the music for Clockwork Orange, and okay. uh, but he his stuff interested me because it was different. But I also liked him doing the classical stuff. He did an album called Switched On Bach, which was a huge seller. And that has Brandenburg Concerto. And I almost put Bach's Brandenburg Concerto Number Three, the first movement, mm-hmm. which is a great piece. If you haven't heard it, oh no, I, I you listen to it and it, it like um, I I well Bach more even more. They say that that Mozart is good for your brain because he does. But there's something about that Bach stuff. It's 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 mathematical, but it's um, reminds me of like the, um, uh, Dire Straits, the guy from Dire Straits, Mark Knopfler. For when I started listening to that 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 pop, his big song um, "Sultans of Swing." If you listen yeah. to it, it reminds me of listening to the Bach because he's basically playing the same thing. Uh, ding ding ding. ding. But if you listen to it, he never plays it the same way twice. Hmm. And it's a highly repetitive, mechanical song. And he's very mechanical, like Bach. And the Bach thing is like that, too. It's mesmerizing. But if you sit and listen to it over and over again, like the Bach stuff that you can hear, just the way those classical guys took themes and broke them apart and put them back together. I don't know if there's anybody any better than Bach. There's, There's so many of them. But he was one of the first ones that I heard... That I liked, and I can't. I think I may have gotten turned on to him because I was listening to that electronic one. But on the other end of the spectrum, uh, that the Tijuana Brass was just interesting. It was first pop music, and because my parents had that in the house, I didn't listen to Beatles and stuff for a while. Uh, What you know, the music was changing so quickly, and as a Mm. kid, you're. I I eventually listened to it uh, and stuff but I you know you just you start listening to whatever your parents had on it sure. sure. and that uh, Tijuana, Russ it's it's odd music and that the, the whole some of the music that he does has an uh, it sounds a little bit like a game show music a television <laughs> game show or it's a little bit like a film intro but some of it has a little bit of latino influence and that was an interesting because I didn't grow up in an area with any Latino influence, so you, you wouldn't think that there was such a thing. So some of his music is quite I think it was as a little kid it was quite evocative. Lonely Bull is has a kind of a, like a funny sound of, you know, like a cheesy sixties film about mm-hmm. bullfighting or something. It's it's um so that was like one of the first probably I'm just I just that's first great. records I think you have had in the house. just moving maybe. along no no that's, that's we <laughs> might do we might do another one just on music we might just sit around another
1: day. we just do a music uh, program because uh, obviously there's a hundred a of them yeah, yeah it's fantastic I just want to ask you a couple of things about Ireland because you've been here how long. You've been here ten years. Ten years, and you obviously have quite a quite a strong uh, opinion on the on the Celtic Tiger. 1.0, Now we're going through the two point zero. Uh.
0: There's a lot to take credit for, but my I I dug in to read as much as I could about it, trying to figure out like what, because nobody was giving me straight answers. Mm. Like how did this. Celtic Tiger actually happened. So you as came here right did,
1: after, yeah? You came here right after the Well I No, I came right at the crash. Right at the crash, That's okay.
0: why I, I had such a horrible time getting into the country. I basically shut the door, and I don't care if who hears this. I mean, the immigration department was completely incompetent. In fact, they were dishonest, but I think the, the big, their problem was that they were overwhelmed, and there was no immigration law to, you know, for thousands of years, there was no issue of people wanting to come to Ireland. And it reached a breaking point, and they basically just put the brakes on everything. And they didn't tell us, any of us that were trying to get in. They were just shelving mm-hmm. shelving and binning applications, yeah. which I'll never forgive them for. But I understand why they were doing it. They, they were, there was no law, so they just had a, came down from above, just slow down, yeah. non-essential immigration. They had to take EU people in. I was non-essential immigration, so they basically just were throwing my applications in the bin.
1: How long did it take you to get in the country? A few years. Oh, really? Um, so you were obviously yearning to get in. You really wanted to be here.
0: Well, I, I married then, yes. <laughs> so you had I, to I be met a, I met an Irish person at the story of coming to Ireland. I met an Irish woman in the States. We were at a children's book conference in the States. And nothing happened then, but we met each other, and I was in a relationship with a South African woman in san diego uh which wasn't working out at the time uh and it ended up being an an incredibly moving to ireland is never going to be simple for me it was it was so emotional i've lived my life as a as a last half of it anyway as as a serial monogamist I, i don't think i ever woke up from the from like early days of dating thinking that um I, I, can't, I can't even get a girl to pay attention to me. That thing you have, like when you're 13, I don't think I ever got rid of it. So I I always thought that I wasn't even involved. And then I woke up like several years later, really, I had had like four four year relationships in a row, four or five year relationships. And so it was the end of the culmination of that. And it was a very emotional time because I had been living away from home in San Diego in an interesting but alien place with this woman that was lovely and I loved her to bits but it wasn't working um, it had nothing to do with her being South African or being of colour um, that was fine I was willing to move to South Africa with her but it's complicated because South Africa's history anyway long story short it, um, it didn't work and when I met my current wife Marie-Louise Mel um again, as a very emotional person, I mean i I just remember the kindness of her, and one thing led to another, and it was the hardest change. I had done this several times before, so it was- ultra wrenching. I never got married, but it it's everything but marriage without the certificate. So I'd gone through that process of of crashing my life into a million pieces and moving on about three other times and I knew it was coming and it's just it's like thinking of cutting off your foot like you're just waiting for that day when you got to take out the knife and just cut your foot right off like with no anesthetic and that's what it it it, it was yeah. it was wrenching because I and I basically had to pack up everything and and break up with um a very nice person and the decision to come and I basically just made the decision to come and visit and say hello and see if there was anything there, because we hadn't really met. It was Mm -hmm. just part of my thinking. And then it just seemed like the right thing. But it it was not easy. It was a huge, huge wrench to get here. And then getting here and finding out that, basically, Ireland said, go home. We don't need you. Yeah, that was hard. And so I don't think I put any music in there about Ireland, I can't remember
1: No, the next song I was going to play is, is the Eddie Reader, which is as close as it gets to it, uh, yeah. uh, from the no, Robert that, Burns series That's a good series. one, because
0: we, I didn't know anything about her she's Scottish, not Irish, but um, she's a Celtic uh, sister uh, She we went to see her several times together so it's, it reminds me of this time, and um it's particularly important to listen to the live one of that because yeah. she records it and we I saw her do it live and it's a stunner. Um,
1: that's one of the Rubber Burns uh, poetry. Yeah,
0: she's doing the Rubber Burns but then if if you listen to the normal record one it's just like it's, it's not there. It's okay. just not happening. And I dug around and found this one. It's It's not as good as there's another live one that's really badly. You can't it's only on you can find it on YouTube mm-hmm. it's one of her live concerts that mm-hmm. comes much closer to what I remember it being sure. but um, but obviously, but it's about love and it's about yeah. um, loving and leaving and Robbie Burns is much more of an animal than I was um, <laughs> but that there is a line in there it's not why I put the song in because I could have put any song but that particular one does have a line in there that's evocative of the whole thing which is um, <sighs> you know Thinking back now, like Freudian, I suppose it applies to my life. Before, um, had we had we never loved, had we never met, and never parted, we'd have never been so broken hearted. of melodramas, my Czech friend used to say to me, melancholy is best emotion (laughs) Um, that notion that uh, to really be alive is to be melancholic, well I wouldn't I wouldn't place the melancholy that I've been through on anyone even as a prison sentence but it does change you and I felt certainly felt melancholy (laughs) in spades (laughs) and uh I can understand the idea of wanting to go to that place. I, I, I wouldn't do it. Well, but maybe I didn't do it consciously. Maybe I did it unconsciously. I, I kept forming these incredibly intense long-term relationships and living with, with wonderful people and then wrenching away from it. And that process of wrenching away from it. At the time, I never found pleasure in it. I swear to God. I never thought to myself that that was pleasure. I was always addicted to falling in love and I, I would meet another Somebody else. In this case, it was already falling apart before I ever met Mel, and nothing really happened, either. But in the past, I had done the classic thing where I met someone and fell in love. But I, I fall in love, very easily, and I and I, and I, I don't say that lightly either. I think it's part of my emotional nature, and it affects everything that I do mm-hmm. in in life. When I've when I and I, I know lots of people that are, for instance, this this is just one aspect of life, but it's but it's one that affects everybody meeting people and, and forming relationships and, and I meet people all the time. They've been single a long time. I have a lot of friends that are like perpetually single. They've been out their whole life and they like it's not as easy for you you know, like it's not like for you, Mike. It's not as easy to meet people. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I could fall in love on the street. <laughs> I could go to New York City tomorrow and fall in love before sundown. <laughs> you know, find somebody with something. I don't know, it's just being a little bit more open minded. I don't see how people could go through life and just say, oh, I couldn't, I, I, man, how come you've been single? And you fifty-six? Oh, I never met anybody that I... It's like, what? You to be <laughs> yeah. open. Well, all that tells me is you haven't met many people, <laughs> or you have a very narrow definition, or you're psychologically avoiding that connection. And I can understand, I would hate to say that to close friends of mine, but that's often the feeling that I get, get it come away from is, I know why you haven't met somebody because it's brutal (laughs) you let you let that thing go and you feel that thing um and it's brutal like getting in touch with your emotions and even on a small level is brutal um it's it's a big experience and you know Oh, the women in my life would have criticized me for saying like, well, clearly, you know, as a serial monogamist, you were hiding your feelings, you were running away from things. But in another way, it's also um, like Robbie Burns said, you know, it's, a, have we never met a of party? We've never been so hearted. I mean, I've, how can I possibly define myself by anything other than the history that, that precedes me? Mm. And the history that precedes me is that I attached myself to lots of people can became completely immersed in their lives I can categorize certain parts of my life which 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 and this is not just being self-indulgent mm-hmm. talking to you about this stuff it informs your work because all the work like science like everything else is about people but mine is particularly about people even sure. if they're little characters no, no. and doing little funny things it's what do people do how do people think what do they do when they interact and because I lived I had you know a whole life with Huge segment of our life, you know, first leaving home moving with, with a crazy aerobics a girl that was wild into aerobics. She was probably the most athletic person I ever actually dated. Crazy aerobics, and that huge time we were out all the time and blah blah blah, and having and we, we lived that life of like like the 30 something, whatever. We, we were all it was couples and we went over to different people's houses and had dinner <laughs> parties and and you know, solved the world's problems, and, and then like that broke up, and then boom, that was over. Whew. And I had a couple of relationships with very nice women where it was much quieter, but I connected with these circles of friends. Dated a woman that was quite manic depressive and wild, and you know, got out of that with the skin of my teeth. Uh, Dated a woman years ago that was nothing, it was nothing but Southern Rock and Grateful Dead. And so I went to the Endless Grateful Dead concerts. <laughs> Have you ever been to a Grateful Dead concert? I haven't. I never would again, but you basically go and you never listen to music. You don't even go, into the, you don't even go inside and watch them. You, you, you hang out. Um, I went to about ten of those. I not no ten of them. I say like five. And I went to her to huge rock things and went to Live Aid and went to all these giant rock concerts. She was really into like, you know, driving around in a van, like the hippie thing. She was a lovely woman. But you know, so each one of these segments in my life, and that it all goes into your head. True. And so when I sit down, I'm drawing my little character, Gato, and you know, there's these little characters, and this book is, you know, about the making things by folding stuff up. Who knows who Gato is, or the elephant and the the little penguin, or the robot character. Like like this is an example of how I'm I'm completely trying to get away from literal people because you can't you're so constricted by doing using characters that are non-human you're able to um, um, create these um, get more real Um, and so even when I'm sitting there doing these funny little characters and they're changing their world by folding up a piece of paper and making a car and driving off it's based on every single person that I've ever met, every relationship every thought, every feeling Why would you do something? And not only why would you do something, but what's your reaction when things go wrong? Which is, every story has to have something go wrong. Yeah. You know, that's what makes a story. A story is, there's two people, they're going about their lives, and something happens. And then there's a resolution, end of story. So... I think every writer or maker that stuff you know is 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 tapping into their experience, which is the only thing you can tap into unless you're being derivative and copying somebody else. You're tapping into that experience of your. Okay, here's a here's a situation, you know, two people on a boat that's sinking, it hits an iceberg. What do they do? Yes. And so you think about it, but you 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 don't know what their life was like, but you extrapolate and. I'm convinced great ready for the great words of wisdom okay. <laughs> I think you know speaking of Leonard Cohen that famous thing about there's a there's a crack and there's a crack in everything that's where the huddle light gets in. I really do think that there's a crack in every piece of art that everybody's carrying around this question in their head about everything what's everything what is it like what? who am I, what's this, um, What? how am I, what's the connection between me and everything else? Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's very selfish to be um, a human. And so, that little, I, I'm convinced that every piece of art, especially the ones that are really good, and people connect to, it's like one little piece of the puzzle. They're, um, they don't even know what it is. They may like it. Like, I like Four Weddings and a Funeral. I think it's amazing. You know, and some people hate it, but there's for me, say anything. I don't question anymore. It's another thing my father would have told me. Don't worry about what you like. Just recognize when you like it. Mm-hmm. And then that... Um, I'm convinced that there's a, there's a hint. There's a clue there. Like, like that little speck on your eye that you're always trying to look at and you can't quite see. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just a little... It keeps moving. Mm-hmm. Um, every piece of art that kind of c- you connect with um, I think is part of that. That's what art is for. It's that make that connection... You're putting together a puzzle. Everybody's putting together a puzzle every day of their life. They're putting together a puzzle in their head, and art is one of those things that really helps people. They see that piece of art, and something clicks, and you don't even know. You don't even have to know what it is. You just know you've come away from it thinking, "I had something," yep. and what I, I'm convinced that is is a little puzzle piece dropped into place, like Tunk. You You, the person doing it, is. If they, if they really could be completely honest about how they see things and feel things, even if that person doesn't have the same exact experience, they recognize that truth and it puts a little another puzzle piece in place. And if you're a real seeker, you'll put more puzzle pieces in. But even if you're an idiot who doesn't do anything, you are slowly, to a lesser extent, putting puzzle pieces together. No matter what you think you're doing, and that's what all of that—that's um, what the point of, of all that art is. And you probably know that art. They—they they now know that art came before everything. The idea of cutting art funding is, is so ridiculous. It came before civilization. It came before everything. There was art, you know, mm. because people knew, recognized it was something strange about art, like they didn't know what. One of the, the books that I did, that it's, it's a bit more about communication, but you can't know the exact moment you start communication, but art and communication basically start at the same time. Mm. That's what I like to say. Like, it, 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 they don't know what, it, what the first man-made thing is, but let's it, assume it was a handprint. There's a handprint. Now think about it. That handprint was the first time that any human connected to another human through time and space. People talk to each other. And say, you know, maybe you remembered the guy. Oh, was the guy's name? The guy, yeah, yeah, there was a guy that was from the third cave. Down. I can't remember. He had the beard. And <laughs> but that handprint, like people transcend to death the first time. as a handprint because it was, it was an actual hand. It wasn't just a mark. It wasn't a rock that they turned into mm. a, a flint. It was a human hand. Some, one person's human hand. One person. Mm. And it's there and they look at it and they say, that's... That person has just connected through time and space, history. Um, it's the first form of mass, communi- mass long, high speed, long distance communication. But it's also the first artwork. And I don't think there's any real difference. That's the way my head works. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any difference between anything. There's a connection between everything. That all this mass communication we have now, and art from the beginning of humankind, it's, all, it's quite natural. It's mm-hmm. all the same thing. Mass communication is the same thing as that handprint. You're, we're trying to c- connect. Mm-hmm. We're trying to think. And there's something about that was evocative to people, primitive people. The one thing that doesn't get talked enough about the, the first artworks is that none of them were at the mouths of caves. They were all in caves and they were all so far into a cave that you couldn't see it. Mm. So that, you can't know anything about ancient history, but you can certainly extrapolate that the point was, first, that they didn't take it lightly. They would have slapped stuff everywhere. Mm. They didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? They thought there was something serious going on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They took it very seriously. Uh, That it was, that in order to witness it, you'd have to be a degree of ceremony. You'd have to go in deep. You'd have to have light. You'd have to have invented some kind of light, fire, to see it. None of, them, none of that artwork is, is in light, has light touching it. So you had to have the ability to create light but you also, in order to see it either select number of people only saw it or mm-hmm. anyway, th- it, it's highly suggestive of, of its place in people's, thought it was a big deal. <laughs>
1: Which is, uh, is my last question, then we're going to wrap yep, it up. Yep, yep. My last question then, uh, how do you see the whole... Um, I mean, communication is very important for everything you do, but everything we all do, not just you as an industry or... or Sorry, you say industry or not, an yep. or, or um, uh, anybody. Like, uh, communication is extremely important. And uh, how do you see the, the whole uh, social media then, the current social media, how do you see that? Do you see that as an entrance...
0: Or I think it's st- completely natural and predictable and, and inevitable. Right.
1: Do you use it? Do you use much? To a degree, to a degree. but degree. only
0: to the extent that it suits me. Okay. Um, but I think it, you're touching on what stuff that I've actually written about. So Okay, I that's fine. Do, so I'm going to try to condense. I won't go No, on no, no, that's fine. Forever. We're, but, we're, we're going but to ex- read it. But ahead. essentially, I think it's inevitable. it was inevitable. You could okay. have predicted it. Um, and there's actually some science fiction writers that more or less predicted it. Uh, A guy named William Gibson, who wasn't a tech guy, just sort of thinking in general, as an English grad, you know, he wasn't any kind of a genius, he just was one of these guys that sat around thinking about, and it was clear to him, as it would have been clear to anybody who sat around thinking about it, that this was an inevitable thing that people would reach out to connect. It's also biologically um, inevitable, that entities seek to expand and connect in uh, very predictable patterns of behavior and that by connecting there was a moment in time uh, which I think doesn't get talked enough enough about there was a moment where um, has it come yet? maybe it has come anyway it's almost like the singularity if you know what that is there was a moment when before this you know, only a certain number of people were connected at once. Oh, but There was a moment when every human. Uh, it's been a while since I did all true. the research. It may not even have happened yet, but there's a moment when every human on earth could be connected at the same moment. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get talked about, enough about it. So that was kind of an inevitable moment to reach. But then what happens when everybody is, is connected? Mm-hmm. It's certain other things don't change. But it's part. It's partly the way an organism operates. I would hate to say that it's apocalyptic. But um, the the interesting aspect recently that has been exposed by the nature of the political influence of hacking and how easy it is to to affect the course of nations and, and vast numbers of people by quiet manipulation is uh, is a sign that we've reached a kind of a a point of not just taking it for granted and maybe rethinking a little bit, at least, that the, who's the guy, the message is the medium, the medium is the message, Malcolm, was it McLaren, or something, whatever his name is, that social media is only an aspect of human behavior, and so you never can stop thinking about your behavior just because the medium has changed. You know, art doesn't change necessarily because you switch from watercolor to oil paint. You still have to have an idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the social media is something that um, is, there's nothing overwhelmingly good about it. It's just a thing. Okay. It has some very, very dark things about it, but it also has some phenomenally, uh, spectacularly good things about it same i think of it the same way as capitalism they talk about what's the best system Uh, it's the worst system out there except for everything else um but like they never talk about the really dark side of capitalism and i i don't know of any other system so i don't have any answers to like if you give up capitalism because communism doesn't work and anyway but social media is similar like they they tend to talk about all the good stuff and then there was knee jerk stuff about bad stuff, but the the real thing about it is that um I think the hardest thing to to, to avoid would be it's controlled by corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. It's people doing stuff and if if it turns out that they can't people can't do their stuff with it, it might be like, you know, our friend Mark could just throw your phone away. Um uh, it's certainly not um a substitute for social fabric projects like the one you're doing when you're mm-hmm. talking to people, listening to people talk. It's not uh it's not the same thing. A friend of mine, I'll finish with this. A friend mm-hmm. of mine for years worked in the computer advising business, mm-hmm. you know, and they basically had a service where they gave huge companies advice on how to implement technology and computers into their businesses and how to make the right decisions. And it became, you know, they had glo- global clients, and it always struck me funny because for the last several years of his life, he the last of his life of his uh, career, he's, <laughs> he's retired now. Uh, he's not passed away; he's retired. But they used to fly him all over the world. You know, it always struck me funny that you're in 21st century, and everything is high tech, and they're actually giving people advice on high tech. And one of the big things they were giving advice is things like video easy. conferencing, <laughs> and yet for him to give them that advice, they were willing to pay to put him on a plane and haul his, his flesh and blood carcass across to Singapore or Sydney, okay. sit in a room, and chat with them about this technology. Like there, there was There's something that even the most high-tech people at the bleeding edge of technology understand. It ain't quite the same unless the guy's in the room. The guy or the girl is in the room. And so, what better evidence do you have that even the people that invented and create, maintain, flourish, and try to sell you more? They want you face to face. There's a there's a irreplaceable value to face to face. Oh yeah. Even right. if it's not everything. No, no. It's irreplaceable. But that's that's what I'm
1: hoping. I'm hoping that with little things like this, we'll we'll get people to talk a little bit more and perhaps send each other a little message every now and then. But.
0: You never know what you're going to learn. <laughs> no, that's it.
1: But well, look, we're going to wind it up with uh, Holly Cole, I Want You. It's a lovely song. So we wrap it up with that. That was one. Of, that was your last choice. Holly do you want cover. to know? Tell me a bit about it. Might as well. We finish it off.
0: Well, I used it in the... I used it in the... It's part of our wedding music. Oh, lovely. But it, it's a It's a fantastic record. It's Holly Cole doing... Do you know the record? Mm-hmm. It's completely covers of Tom Waits. Uh, she does them better than tom does a lot of tom waits is classic half of the stuff he does he just mumbles it and grumbles it and it's gone and you don't even, like you can't even hear what he's saying mm. and he's a writer for god's sake so I, I really think i have a whole list on my itunes of, of people doing cover tunes most of which are better than the original person who wrote it in, in my opinion sure, sure. but she does she does most of his stuff better than he does I mean, they're amazing. That record is full. I could have taken anything off of that one. Mm. Um, you know, falling down, they took they took all the doorknobs. I mean, that some of these lines in there like, blow you across the room. But I want it, it. I think there's like four lines in it. I want you. I want you. Give you the stars above. It's a love song. You know, mm-hmm, it's basically mm-hmm. saying, yeah. Know, so we had that as part of our wedding music. So yeah. I, it's a pocket. but it's incredible. And she does a better version than he does. It's like this, it's the classic, pure, like the kind of thing you would strive for. If you can get that much mileage out of that little, you know, it's harder, like, the, it's the classic thing. And um, Mark Twain, I would have written you a short letter, but I didn't have enough time. You know? Yeah, yeah. That it, it to be succinct is artful, That's um, to be verbose is. Natural, <laughs> um, and uh, for a song to be that simple, it's achingly, it's good. But there's, it, it's not. You know, it's one of many. But we also, they also, it's a, it's part of coming to Ireland since it was part of our wedding. That's um, well, it's a, it's a good one to finish thing, it off with. Yeah. So, well,
1: Michael, that was. Uh... Great, thanks a million. Lots of words. You'll have to edit this. You have to edit the 400 hours down to the minutes I will have to do it. I will have to do the full month (laughs) on (laughs) that. But thanks a million, and I'll talk to you again soon.
0: See you later. I want you.